0: What up, what up? It's Freddie Cruz, and I've made it my job to share with you the stories that make the greater Houston area great. Enter the man who drives a convertible school bus around town in an effort to teach Houstonians of all ages about their city. Mr. McKinney from Mr. McKinney's Historic Houston has been at it for years, and at the time of this release, it's 713 day, so you know we dive into all things H-Town. During this episode, we discuss our city's namesake, Sam Houston, Sam's complicated and heartbreaking legacy, and how you can partake in one of the many tours throughout the year. Follow him on Facebook at Mr. McKinney's Historic Houston. And if you enjoy this episode, please hit the subscribe button and ask your family and friends to do the same and sign up for the newsletter at cruisethroughhtx.com
1: Hi, I'm Ed Sheeran. This is Bruno Mars. Hey, it's Katy Perry. This is your man Florida with Freddie Cruz.
0: This is AJ Mitchell with Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Cruz. let's you go pick Mr. 305 and you're Know what it is. My name is Freddie, and it's time to cruise through HTX. What gave you the idea to basically saw off a roof of a school bus and travel around the city teaching people about history? You
1: know, I'll be honest; it just hadn't been done before. That's that's the real reason why. And looking for a way to teach you some history to make it fun and educational. Uh, there just wasn't anything out there like it. And there's always been museums here in Houston. We've had a variety of different kinds of museums and uh, educational spaces uh, about our city's past, pop-up exhibits, things of that nature. But nothing like this, nothing where we take the kids and the adults, where the history actually happens. And that's what makes our program unique and special. And beyond just like taking them there uh, and talking about it, and now you're in a location now, you're talking about what used to be here, you really got to show them. And you can show them a variety of ways. If it happens to be downtown Houston, the Heights, or different parts of the city that actually have some of the history still there, then we can show them the old building, even if it has like a facade put on that's new. But for the most part, the black and white photos that I showcase about Houston's past really get people excited because I'm like, oh my gosh, I can see like the makeup when that building used to be there or the footprint of the building. You know, Houston's a very pro-development city and it's not a bad thing, but we need to find a way to kind of be in harmony with preservation, right? Kind of utilize that. And the best example I can give you most recently is the Geraldine Hines, Hines Corporation's La Cullum Door. It is a partnership between Steve Zimmerman and Dan Zimmerman and then uh, the Hines Corporation to create a um, residential tower right behind that historic 1923 Walter Fondren Mansion. Now, who is Walter Fondren and why does it matter? Because he's one of the founders of Humble Oil, which is now called we Call it ExxonMobil. And they were very, and the Fondren family is extremely generous. Besides the ranch that he had in southwest Houston that connected a Fondren road that gives us the name and which is one of those well known streets in Houston, uh, the family itself is extremely generous through his wife, Ella Fondren, and she lived to be 102 years old. And literally, there's not a, a building of a, you know, Church, a school, education, higher learning, library without a fonder and something on it. Okay. So it just shows you the legacy of these generous Houstonians that gave a lot of money uh, back to the city they love. So we're blessed to be able to talk about preservation and use that Montrose Boulevard mansion as an example of how preservation actually works and is done right. That's my passion history, preservation, and education.
0: And I want to build on that because when you are talking to someone who may be from a different state, and has only been here for maybe a year, hey, six months, six weeks. They learn about uh, Houston history by going on one of these buses. Maybe they've been to a hospital and they see ExxonMobil as a large donor for some building and it's, oh, well, you it's just a bunch of rich people that just wanted to get their names on something. But it's more than that. You're talking about the generosity of Elefondren. And it's also not just the name of a street, not just someone, well, let's combine Fawn with Dren and we got a street and that's where we're going to sell furniture from.
1: It is known for Furniture Row. Those who are in the know when it comes to design know that between West Park and between West Timer Road, that stretch of Fawn and Road is like Design Row. So it's kind of known by that as well. But yeah, it's a perfect example. And here we are, right? 713 celebrating, you know, what makes Houston great. And I think when it comes to like, Places to shop in the know, you know, the, the the Harwin area and the Fondren furniture corridor area design of that. That's kind of one of those inside things. If you know Houston, you know where to shop to get certain discounts and deals. So it's very uniquely Houston, right? Some of these places that we're talking about now. Which absolutely right, you know we have we have that we have that all over the spectrum. We have wonderful individuals who made their money here, and that's not unique because a lot of people made their money in Houston. But the certain families gave it back, meaning they established foundations. They realize it's way more money they can ever dream of doing anything with, and you know their kids are set up. Through uh, you know various business ventures and trust funds and whatnot, but the, the majority of the money was put into the foundation use and is still given every single quarter. I mean, they they just give generously.
0: And speaking about preservation, I was just driving down fifty nine going southbound, passing up Minnehaha Park and the GRB. On the left hand side near the soccer field is that giant, super old walled sign. So for people who. Are not from here, they're new, like they've barely been here a year or so. What is that and why is it significant to the city of Houston?
1: Yeah. It's an, old, it's an old furniture company and also a moving and storage company as well. So they, they were around for many, many generations here in Houston. And uh, they had a very famous location off of West Park in 59 uh, that is no longer there. And that was demolished where the micro center is at now. And they had another location uh, in, in what we call the East End Edo area. That old area specifically was residential way back in the 1860s, 1870s, 1880s. And then by the 19... 19- hundreds and nineteen teens is and it starts to transition to be more industrial uh proximity to the ship channel proximity to the numerous railroads that run that area made it more industrial so we saw residential turn into industrial and now it's turning back to residential. So we kind of like to remind people, uh, those who uh, may be upset about some of that, it's like, well, wait a minute. But the good news is a lot of that industrial property is being made into commercial and residential spaces. So we see some of those uh, lofty style projects happening in the Edu area, which ironically is the original Houston Chinatown. We now have Asiatown located way out west. But the uh, original, you know, Beltway 8 and Bellar Boulevard, but the original location for Chinatown back in the 19, uh, late 40s, 50s, 60s, and so forth, up until the 80s, was located in the downtown Houston area, just east of downtown. And, you know, it's no more. Uh, Gordon Kwan is uh, a buddy of mine, and he talks about his family, you know, f- frequenting that area and being patrons of the space and shopping. There. He went to Milby High School, for example. So th- there's a lot of connections with the the east side of Houston and being the original uh, Chinatown as we know it as Asiatown now, because there's so many great other uh, Asian cultures that have blended in, including Southeast Asia, for example, to make the West Bel Air, West Houston side so rich in culture. And, uh, you know, everyone needs a home and a place for a community to gather. So, beyond uh, folks that are not part of the Asian and South Asian community, uh, you know, they can come there and enjoy the food and the cuisine and the, and the overall culture, but the community itself gets to now have a hub where they have their community centers located there and they have their businesses located there. So we see a lot of that great commerce happening uh, internally. And it's just an example of Houston's always been that way, right? We've always focused on people coming here and contributing and making this city the great space that we know it to be.
0: Yeah. And I love how Katie Asiatown has exploded. I'm over here in Richmond, which is. Technically, where I am is more, it's closer to Cinco Ranch and Seven Meadows than it is to Rosenberg. So it's like that little trifecta area, Katy, Fulshire, Richmond area. And right, right, like a hop, skip, and a jump away down 99 is all these, all these restaurants. That are booming. Too many to try it within the scope of one year or even two years. It seems like there's always something that's popping up. So it's great to see that not only have they expanded toward the west side of town and into Bel Air, but also expanding into the burbs, because that's how we remain in touch with the people who have helped build the city.
1: You're absolutely right. And it's just an extension of that. And I think a lot of it too is um, when we see some of these uh, Asian shopping centers that are coming online uh, that have a very similar model across the nation, they like large tracts of land and they like to build an anchor grocery store with specialty goods that are only for the, that the community really kind of connects with, identifies with. You can only get in some of these special markets like H Mart, for example, places like that. And then they build a commercial around it. And that commercial around it allows for the you know, the nail salons and the different clothing spaces and places to go that also benefit the community. So I think it's wonderful. I mean, the west side of Houston uh, has been somewhat rural uh, throughout its existence. It was one of the last places that we started to kind of populate over time, still continuously populating it now. And with the proximity of the old um, You know, uh, San Antonio, San Antonio, San Antonio Pass Railroad, which is now called the West Park Toll Road. used to be a railroad right there. Now it's the toll road. And then, of course, I-10 going east to west. And then, as you know, 59, you're like in the middle. But that Grand Parkway is really a a huge benefit to the west side of Houston.
0: I don't mind driving down the Grand Parkway up until I-10. But once you start going toward 45, which is where they expanded it not too long ago, There, there's some really shady, supernatural kind of stuff going on. I know that there are, there were complaints that there was an Indian burial ground there. And some, some people were not crazy about the freeway getting built. And there have been some really horrific wrecks, not trying to take the episode into a dark turn. I'm just saying... I am not very crazy about having to go out that way, and I'm sure the expansion helps a lot of people. It's just that when you're driving down there, and then Houston drivers—not to stereotype us, but I mean we don't exactly drive the best um, uh, on the freeway when we're traveling at high speeds. We're definitely better drivers than the folks in LA. I I, um, I've been to LA a few times
1: in the last couple of months, and it just—it's we just we know it seems like Houstonians are like. On their way someplace, they know where they're going, uh, and so we are kind of more motivated. Whereas in other cities, other markets, at least that I've dri- driven in, they just are kind of like on a Sunday drive, and and that what kind of adds to some of the congestion. Whereas Houstonians are really kind of motivated; they know where they're going. But I will say that these these spokes and these you know radius loops that uh, encompass our city are very very beneficial, and they're also very. Forward thinking, and Houston has always been a forward-thinking city. You know, our freeway map system goes back to 1938 when they were deciding we're going to, you know, uh, surround Houston. This is way before the 1954 inclusion of the, you know, the Federal Highway Act. It's an idea of we want to get around our city, and we know that Houston's going to grow, and as a pro-development city. If we have the infrastructure set aside to get us around the city, then we can grow, and that's the difference between Houston and Austin. Some of these cities grow so quickly they don't understand about the infrastructure, and they end up kicking themselves in the pants because now they can't get around the city. So it kind of defeats the purpose. Whereas Houston has always kind of had that forward-thinking mentality, and uh, you know the Grand Parkway. uh, What you're specifically talking about, yes, there's a lot of that going on. A lot of negative energy north of I-10, and and even you know even in certain parts of Sugarland there's been known to be some of that as well. So what you have is you have burial sites with possibly spirits unrest. I mean, it depends on who you want to talk to believe, but the truth of it is if there are situations happening there, uh, it's probably because nobody wants a freeway built on top of them. It reminds me of our fifth war tour that we do on board the Houston history bus, where the cemetery known as, um, um, evergreen cemetery right there in the old fifth ward there is a freeway that goes right through the cemetery it's called i-10 east and there's a street called lockwood and literally lockwood runs right on top of some past graves some of which we're not even sure are gone they might still be there right so uh it's just a lot of uh you know we have to think about before we build sometimes and really kind of Understand the consequences when it comes to that. So, like, there's a balance, and we got to find the balance. And I think that as a development city, let's let's find that balance together.
0: One, I had no idea that that part of I-10 was built over a cemetery. That is tragic. One, and then two. I've got to go back and ask you, because you talk about Houston uh, being so forward-thinking as far back as 1938, and I feel like you are the perfect person to know about this because you are a Houston historian, how much of that propensity to think forward may or may not have been influenced by the tragic turn of events with the Galveston hurricane in which they're like, well, you know, maybe we should dot our I's and cross our T's and be on our P's and Q's because... Things are going to change and we need to plan ahead.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, some people have a misconception that Houston was just like this you know, small city uh, prior to the, the hurricane. 1900. But no, we were a thriving city, a thriving cotton port. We did have rail infrastructure in here as early as 1853. We had it in large numbers by the 1870s and 1880s going kind of fanning all throughout. I, I will say what the Galveston hurricane of 1900 and the follow-up hurricane of 1915 did for many businesses in Galveston, they actually relocated. These individuals like Sakowicz is a big one 1917 relocated to Houston, for example, after the 1915 hurricane, Uh, and then other businesses would say, you know, maybe it's time to close shop on the Galveston one. When it came to industry, uh, you then had people investing in the petrochemical industry by the uh, the late 19-teens, early 1920s, A little further inland, so we see by the nineteen late nineteen twenties, Governor Ross Sterling with Humble Oil decides to put you know his uh, petrochemical plant on the uh, Baytown area, and Baytown's known for that. So Baytown's of course a lot more inland than Galveston Bay. It's still on the bay, and it has access to the the tankers that need to get there. But the idea is it's further north, further inland. Uh, So it's it it helped us. Road infrastructure, all we had was a causeway specifically, but the rail infrastructure we had uh, that, that outdid Galveston, you know, there was only one railroad uh, that could go in and out of Galveston and uh, that wasn't very, most of it was done through ship and port, obviously, but uh, our rail infrastructure really positioned us, and even Dallas uh, was very well positioned as well, being north and then running on a really, uh, you know, east to west axis, a little higher up than us with some of the cities that were there. But for the most part, things were coming into the port and then are going out of the port, but they were in proximity to rail when it came to exporting and importing that made Houston unique. and, And it was a safer bet after 1900 and a sure bet after
0: 1915. For people who, again, they're just not from here. Maybe they have no idea who Sam is. What are two or maybe even three things that new Houstonians <laughs> need to know about our city's namesake, Sam Houston, other than he's a boss and he may or may not have smoked with the with the Indians?
1: Definitely a boss. Definitely somebody who was an, an amazing civic leader uh, of the time period, somebody very involved in um, our nation and then our state, and our state becoming part of the Union. I love to talk about Sub 1 3 because I want Houston to remember how great Houston is. And this also is a fun little precursor to Houston's actual birthday on August 30th, 1836, which is when the city was actually founded. After uh, Texas becomes part of the United States in 1846, 1845, uh, he goes on to serve as the very one of the, there's, there's obviously two senators for the new state of Texas, and he becomes one of those senators along with Thomas Rusk. And then he goes to Washington once again. Uh, so he's once again a, a senator, a United States senator for the brand new state of Texas. He, he, he always owned slaves. It, it isn't a secret. It's something that he definitely uh, did have. But he was dedicated to the union. He was somebody who early on told the folks that were buzzing about this idea of the Confederacy, it's not going to work, it's not a war that we're going to win, and it's inevitable. And he actually, and at that particular time period, 1861, the governors had to sign uh, the allegiance and oath of office to become part of the Confederate States of America, and he refused to do that. And the Texas could not, Texas could not join unless the governor was on board. So they actually removed him from office. Uh, they voted this man out of office. Uh, the Rumor is that he sat in a rocking chair in the basement of the Capitol, actually heard the votes be called out. And truth truth be told, he died two years later from a broken heart. He died in 1863 in his house in Huntsville. And it's just an example of, uh, he did fight to try to keep Texas part of the Union, and it just didn't work out in that way. But uh, obviously, he was right in the idea of um, the Confederacy not being victorious in their efforts. So, so you know, it's, it's kind of a sad tale at the end of it, though. But he was an active and dedicated statesman and an American, you know, if you look at all the heirs that he served, um, he was the ambassador of Cherokee Nation. So uh, he was somebody active at the time period of Andrew Jackson when he was president to try to soften some of the uh, rhetoric towards the, the Indian uh, community. Um, Native American community, specifically trying to even lobby for rations uh, during the during the uh, uh, sad Trail of Tears, when uh, not only the Cherokee's but all of the Indians uh, were kind of removed and then kind of sh- shuffled out westward around the Oklahoma Territory area, uh, he famously lobbied in the Senate. And in the U.S. Capitol for rations for the uh, Native Americans, and they refused. So a lot of them died on the Trail of Tears because they had no food, no supplies, and he just thought that was very inhumane. You're going to force these people to migrate and move from their homeland, their original native land, and you're not even going to give them the supplies. And, and the truth of it is, they were treated so poorly where certain legislators were hoping they would die. So Sam Houston was somebody who was an advocate at the very beginning. So I think all those things that he did that were positive, uh, you know, certainly need to be discussed as well. Uh, there's there were talks a couple of you know. Uh, years ago about maybe taking down the Stamuelson statue or changing the name of Houston to a different city. And it's one of those things where we have to look at his whole legacy in a context and realize that um, he always felt to care for people. And then even in the end, he really went to bat and to made sure that uh, that more people understood his his, his position. Uh, we also, Andrew Jackson would not allow us into the union earlier because uh, Sam Houston wanted to be a freed state, a freed state, and uh, Andrew Jackson didn't want to upset the balance of, of slavery because uh, it just wasn't something he wanted to tackle at the same time period. So, yeah, it's it's a sad chapter.
0: Yeah, history is so complicated, and this is just the the perfect the perfect example of how and why we can not only or should only, as much as I hate the word should, but should re-examine the individuals who are who are behind the names of our major cities. It's like, yeah, on one end, they did this these horrible things, then on the other, they ended their lives essentially regretting all the things that they've done, but then they were also doing things that were uh, advocating for humane treatment of humans when... Everybody else was like, well, we need to get them the hell out of here, and who cares if they die? Actually, no, we want them to die. And here's somebody who's standing up saying, hey, yo, these people are are not bad, and we should take care of them.
1: Yeah, you know, we're all humans, and uh, obviously there's very dark chapters in American and, and, and yeah. world and U.S. history, um, but I, I think if we look at the context of someone's full legacy and we understand what their heart was and their intentions were, especially towards uh, the, the majority of the latter part of their lives, then we realize that uh, we should take all that into context and, and, and use it as a teaching tool, you know, showcase that you know that, that, that these things were wrong in America's history and, uh, and, and, and we need to speak up for them uh, now so we don't repeat some of the mistakes that people have made.
0: And speaking of which, this is what you do. This is the World that you live in, man. Uh, Here we are on 713 day, the middle of July. It is 100,000 degrees, and the heat index is get the hell out of here, Mother Nature. What are you thinking? Uh, But you are working hard with your navy blue blazer, and you are in this convertible school bus showing everybody the, the wonders of Houston history. So what what is the what is the word on Christmas in July?
1: So what we do is we do Christmas in July. We launch the Houston History Bus uh, Christmas light programs in River Oaks, and we do it every year on July first. So I mean, you know, two weeks ago we launched this thing, and it's just been nonstop. People are still calling. There are you know forty two days you know that we operate the history bus during that time period and we go out seven times a night. Now, what makes the Christmas light towards River Oaks so special? Well, as most people know, the average River Oaks resident will spend several thousand dollars to make their lighting package work. Uh, they uh, do this for us. They do this for the citizens of Houston. Um, I will say a public service announcement uh, to viewers and listeners, everybody out there in the world, make sure that you are very respectful to the folks that live in River Oaks because too many times people are parking, uh, blocking driveways, or they are let um, me leaving trash in the River Oaks area we have to remember that these are people's homes. With social media and and why the Houston History Bus is so special is because they like us because we take you know, 20 cars off the road. Here we are able to drive all together as a group and you're taking cars off of the road and remember to be respectful. Uh, in any neighborhood you travel, by the way, whether it's Shepherd Park Plaza, whether it's Pecan Grove and Sugarland, Land, whether it's wherever it is, understand that, uh, we just need to remember and Plus it's also that time of year, right? Where we should be kind and generous to folks and leaving your trash in somebody's front yard, walking on their grass, uh, not respecting, you know, their home is not very, um, Uh, you know, indicative of Christmas, uh, the the holiday spirit. So think about that. But it's a lot of fun. So if people want to come join us, it's always uh, texting me 713-364-8674. My cell phone is 713-364-8674 and would be honored to be able. I I like to talk to every single person that wants to ride the bus. Um, We don't have a website. It's about communicating with someone, wanting to learn about what they want to accomplish with their group. A lot of people rent the bus out for private events. Uh, we do a lot of realtors. We do a lot of you know um, just holiday stuff. Um, families are coming in town. So if you want that key date, because your family's in town, we, we, we go out Thanksgiving evening, so November 23rd of this year until Jan- until December 31st, and we go out every single evening, including Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, New Year's Day, New Year's Eve. So some families, that's like their tradition, and they join us every year, which we really appreciate. Uh, and, and the fun Funds go to, to um, offer the free classroom torch for school kids. So we're able to sponsor two classrooms of 30 kids, which get to ride the bus for free. That's 60 kids total when you rent the bus out and come join us. So think about that 713 364 8674. It's a lot of fun. And it's just, it's by far the best way to see Christmas lights on an open air school bus as we're driving around.
0: Love it. So he does not have a website, but you can also look him up on Facebook and on Instagram. Mr. McKinney from Mr. McKinney's Historic Houston. Thank you so much for coming by Cruise Through HTX. My pleasure. Hey, you're not going to make it through the entire episode without me reminding you once again that if you enjoy this podcast, you can help me grow the show by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and By signing up for the newsletter, I can guarantee there will be free stuff involved at some point before the end of summer. So if you want to get in on some freebies, you can sign up at cruzthroughhtx.com. C-R-U-Z throughhtx.com.